Morning, everyone. Welcome to Friday Live Daily Kofefi. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by the bad mamma jamma, Carrie Smith. Hey, Carrie, say hi. Hi, Carter. So, uh, you don't know what I was doing to torture you. I mean, I know that the audience thinks the music is to torture them, <laughs> but actually, here's the plan. Guys, Carrie just doesn't give a crap that I'm annoyed when she's late. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to only play that music when she's late and you can get mad at her for being late. So maybe that will solve my problem. What do you, Carrie, what do you think about this? Okay, here's what, here's what I think about this. Most live shows that I watch don't start right on the dot because they wait for people, to, the audience to get there and they play hold music. And in fact, they, they wait for quite a while, some of them. And I like that crappy music. <laughs> yeah, but our audience doesn't like that crappy music. And I'm actually just trying to train you to show up on time because I don't think that the other shows start late because they're not there. They're out getting coffee or whatever. I think they start late because they're waiting for the chat to start. What do you, What's know. your thought on this? I think they're getting coffee, some of them. You have no idea. <laughs> I, per- I mean, honestly, with the re- I- oh, wait, hold on. Uh, let me mute this. I'm still playing with this Skype stuff do i sound echoey I, I think i still sound echoey on skype but i'm not, not sure i don't know actually did, did did she sound echoey we th- we thought we fixed it but i don't think it yesterday she was still echoey i put in an earpiece today so she's not coming through my speakers so i'm hoping that will fix it uh but please tell us if she sounds echoey um laura okay, kirkpatrick carrie she says um piling on yeah. carrie is crap that's not a good thing she's not a dog to be trained so you have uh I, someone I rushing to laura. your defense there's a difference between, well, kind of poking fun at me, which I don't mind, but I don't want to get in a place where you are encouraging the audience to pile on me. <laughs> I was only five minutes late, and I forgot it was Friday. I forgot we were doing a live one, so I thought we were recording, so I told Carter I was getting coffee. I was like, oh, just give me 15 more minutes, and he's like, uh, it's live one. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to strategize for ways to have you show up generally. So, Jude, I, I show up. Are we gonna have a fight on camera now? It's eleven thirty-eight. I'm here. No, no. Today I'm you were actually quite good. Today you were great. You know what? Yeah. You suck. Uh oh. We're gonna have we're gonna have a fight on camera. Um, yeah. No, yeah. You were good. You were good today. <sighs> okay. okay. Want to start actually the show, Carrie? <laughs> sure. Don't forget to like, share, share, and subscribe, please. Uh, blah blah blah. We're almost at um. What are we at? Hold on. Let me look. We're almost at uh, 2,200. We're like three people away from 2,200 on YouTube. So um, our goal, oh, two people away now. So our goal is to get to um, 10,000 on YouTube this year. I don't know if that's our goal. I just made that up. But it's a good goal. That's our next big milestone. So help us uh, help us get there, please. Um, I'm just laughing. At I'm, 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 I'm reading the thing. Carter is non-aggressive wait, wait, wait. and Carter's passive-aggressive. Wait, wait, wait. Let me tell you. Carter is the Deadwood. <laughs> That's a joke. That's an inside nice, joke. It's nice, nice nip fragility. Thank you so much for that. Um, Thank you. I'm not aggressive and passive aggressive. I know. No, I'm I'm generally not as passive aggressive as I am. Just like, just a jerk. Um, anyway, Carrie, I got a few things to talk about. Um, you got anything that you want to lead with? Uh, no, you start. I have some things, but you get, you start. Well, actually, I kind of want to let, um, 
this is let uh, who was it Kent start because Kent mentioned this and I forgot about this and uh, I'll just pull this tweet up. Um, oh, apparently I won't. Never mind. Forget about pulling the tweet up, but I will read it. Um, so there was a professor at Kent. Where did you think he was from? Calgary, I think. Ted McCoy, and uh, he said he tweeted out. I heard it rumored students will fail my class if they cite Jordan Peterson. And I'd like to clarify that this is absolutely correct. And, uh, of course, he backpedaled a little bit um, after that. But, you know, that's what's going on in academia, of course. He deleted his tweet later, so people can't see it. But that's what he tweeted. I wish I could show it to you, but I'm, I'm dying. Um, so, yeah, I did see that. Can't ask if we saw that. Well, since what? we're talking about academia, mm -hmm. uh, I saw an article this morning. There's a group for anyone who is either in the Austin, Texas area or uh, an alumni of UT Austin or even just if you're interested in, in this topic. There's a group on Facebook called Stop the Insanity at UT. And the guy who runs it is in, uh, he, he went to UT. I, I don't think he lives here anymore. He was living here until recently. But um he basically kind of keeps up with what's going on on campus. He's like a one-man army sort of keeping track of the SJW convergence at UT, at this one specific school, at UT Austin. And so he was sharing an article about this academic, like, bureaucratic bloat, which we've talked about briefly before. But just the fact that uh, in the past 15 years, I would say 10 to 15 years, the amount of money that's going to bureaucrats, not professors, but people who are in these administrative, woke, made up jobs is astounding. And so if we talk about kids, you know, uh, taking out all this future debt to be able to pay for these ridiculous salaries for people who are in offices like, you know, the, the Orwellian sound in offices like the Office of Diversity and Inclusion and Anti-Bias Response. And, you know, um, so anyway, he pointed out to me that UT Austin has a diversity and inclusion office with a staff of, guess how many people, Carter? Well, it's kind of cheating because I saw your you Facebook saw it? post. A hundred people. A hundred people. And you can imagine like how much, how much money that is. It's crazy. But I was thinking about it from a, um, just like a, I guess maybe a psychological perspective of like being someone in one of those jobs, I can't imagine doing it. I can't imagine waking up and go like, what a fraud you must feel like. It, do you have any connection to reality whatsoever? You have to know it's all BS. You're going there and doing the absolute definition of make work. Your whole job is to justify you getting paid all this money from students. Your job is justifying your job. It's not a real job. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's true for that's true for a lot of bureaucracy, I think. And I don't know that they do understand it. But the article that that so I because of your Facebook post, I went and found this. It was a um, the article that the guy was referring to is this Walter Williams wrote an article in the Daily Signal about this. And just I just pulled out some facts that I was like, shocked about. Um, okay, so he, he cites some other universities, which I guess aren't as bad. Penn State, the Office of Vice Provost for Educational Equity, 66 staff members there. Um, University of Michigan, 
39 or sorry 93 full-time diversity administrators officers directors vice provosts deans consultants specialists investigators managers executive assistants administrative assistants and analysts and coordinators so almost as big as ut big department amherst college which only has a student body of 1800 people has 19 diversity people he called them he called them diversity people he wrote an article called <laughs> college is a racket and here's why but the 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 um Stat that really got me, Carrie, was I kind of know that universities are bloated and with lots of administration, but did you know this? The college bureau, this is according to this article by Walter Williams, he says, um, diversity officials are a growing part of a college bureaucracy structure that outnumbers faculty, outnumbers faculty by two to two and a half, depending on the college. I didn't realize the bureaucracy at colleges was that bloated. Did you? I did only because I've talked to professors about this professors who are upset about the lack of tenured jobs, people who are doing adjunct forever because there's not enough money in the budget for an actual teacher because they're paying a hundred of these bureaucrats to come up with nonsense buzzwords and posters about Jack was drunk. Jill was drunk. She didn't consent. Jack can go to jail. Remember that poster? Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, uh, I do remember yeah, that Yeah. Or put up stuff in the bathrooms. It's like, do you hear someone saying something offensive? Call this bias hotline. Like, that's what their jobs are. <sighs> it makes me angry. Makes me yeah, angry. it's it's horrible. And as uh, I forget, there was an article that was pointing this out. I don't think it was the Walter Williams article, but um, these people create. So it's those bureaucratic jobs that tend to advocate for and push for the expansion of like grievance study departments and then the grievance study departments justify the existence of an expansion of the bureaucracies that are policing all the stuff and more policies and so like it's this perpetuating loop of just expansion 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 of authoritarianism and bureaucracy at these colonies and, and the ideology to justify it yeah, somebody uh, in the comments, AZ Gardner says colleges are the corporations that they rail against. Yeah, but they're yeah. worse. They're worse because um, can you imagine if the if if you were an 18-year-old and the government would let you take out a really cheap loan that maybe Bernie Sanders would reimburse someday anyway and uh, and uh, for for iPhones or for computers, like you wouldn't care what the cost of an iPhone was. It would cost you 10 bucks. And like, if, you know, if the iPhone was $100,000, what the hell would you care? So it's not, it's worse than a corporation because it's not even subject to normal free market pressure because you've got all of these uh, institutions, most of them government related, either NGOs or government directly, who are subsidizing uh, student loans so that kids can pay these exorbitant tuitions in order to support diversity staff and all that stuff. I mean, if if college had to actually charge students, really charge students for what they were doing, uh, fewer people would go, or at least there'd be some kind of pressure, I would think, on, uh, there would be downward pressure on uh, tuition prices, I would imagine, and you'd start cutting things like your 101st diversity hire. I don't know. No? Okay. Oh, sorry. I was muted. I was muted. Yes. Uh, well, I wanted to read before we move on from this. I don't know if we're moving on yet, but there was a quote from this that they highlighted in the piece, which again, 
I mean, people who I would say people who subscribe to our show are already are of this opinion, but maybe there's new people watching. I don't know, but they say, "quote diversity." Now, again, this is all about creating money for so-called diversity departments, but diversity is the highest goal of students and professors who openly detest those with whom they disagree. I mean, I think that's, I think it's a great statement because that's, that's the yeah. whole point is they're not, they're not actually for diversity. They're not actually for diversity. They're for racial and gender quotas. Like that's what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, that yeah. diversity is just a f- word that sounds nice that they use to label stuff. Um, although, as I've mentioned before, the more what I've started to see in actually schools in the Bay Area is the more the more woke thing is to say we're not just about diversity, we're about equity. So uh, they're like coming right out and saying it right about equity. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So and, and equity is just code for quotas, basically, and stealing some people's stuff and giving it to other people's stuff because you know historical differences. Yeah, I always think of equity as. Uh, equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome. Equity is equality of outcome. Equity is looking at something and saying, you know, there is not, you know, they're not 50-50% like women in STEM. Therefore, we're going to, you know, we therefore it must be sexism. And that's what we're pushing for is 50-50. Without asking, what are all the other reasons why it might not be 50-50? Right. And then without, and also without looking at like, well, why, why is 90-something percent of trash collectors men? They don't care about that. Right, yeah. <laughs> equity is definitely, right, yeah. definitely about outcome. Um, and the reason that it's ultimately horribly destructive is there is actually no such thing as equality of outcome. Like, you actually can't have that um, with the exception of some, uh, I guess, very influential, to be polite, very influential communists who are able to achieve equity by killing people and at you know when you're all skeletons in a mass grave you're equal but before that there's really not any equity yeah so. you can't have equity without force it necessarily requires it because you're trying to engineer something that's false right of course yeah i mean yeah so it's like you know you and i have uh, told people to read the harrison bergeron little short story yeah. before go read it that's equity that's what equity is that's the world of equity it looks a little bit ridiculous when you read it but it's uh was it kurt vonnegut um it's a super short read if anyone wants to go read harrison bergeron that's what equity is uh encapsulated so um all right do you want to move on carrie you have more on this one uh no i can move on i'm going to share the live link real quick you 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 bring up the next topic oh okay yeah our live link I thought I shared it on Twitter and everywhere else, but maybe I didn't. No, I mean, I just, I haven't put it in any personal places. Oh, okay. So, um, actually, what I wanted to talk about, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was uh, Twitter. So, um, this week is the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. Um, For those of you not in tech at all, it's like, I guess, the biggest tech event thing that happens. Um, I don't really go anymore. It's horrible. It's Vegas. It's crowded and horrible. But, um... At CES, Twitter announced their head of conversation. I love that they have a head of conversations. Um, the head of conversations, uh, Suzanne Shi, uh, announced that they're going to start experimenting with 
letting people limit replies. Now, of course, you can always you can always already have like a locked account, so only certain people can follow you and see your stuff. But um, they are going to try and uh, experiment early this year, I guess, with breaking replies into four different types of replies that you can kind of enable on your on a post. So you can say, no one can reply to this post, right? I just want to shout my thing and no one's allowed to reply. Uh, you can uh, post where only people named in your tweet can reply. So like if I tag you, Carrie, you could reply, but no one else could. You could have a thing where only, re only followers of yours can reply and presumably you would police your followers. Uh, or you can have the, what is currently now, like anyone can reply. Uh, and you know, the, the thing that I thought about this, that the thing that struck me about this right away was that it really, I think it really speaks to the fragility of the user base that Twitter is trying to cater to. Like they, yeah. they certainly, their, their, their view is they want to find like the, the biggest snowflakes out there who are, um, who need, you know, a fainting couch and smelling salts when someone disagrees with them and try and build technology around protecting them. And it's, uh, it's really quite pathetic, but I I thought you would uh, maybe have an opinion on all this. I don't know. Well, I have a couple of one question is how does this jive with the court? Remember the court ruling that said uh, it was in New York. Where was it? That said Trump can't block people from following him. Right. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. And so yeah. actually uh, Candace Owens is trying to make them live by their own rules and so she's suing to force, or she was suing to force AOC to unblock her because AOC had blocked Candace Owens. Right, <laughs> which then, which uh, I think if you're going to say if you're going to say Trump's a national figure or Trump's a elected official and therefore he can't block people, then that same holds true for AOC, right? Right, but I think I think that's crazy. But I do think, yeah, I do think these new rules. It's uh uh, and I hadn't heard all of these, so thank you. They look every time, and you guys, if you've spent any time on Twitter, you know this to be true. Um, the, the SJWs on Twitter are the most block happy people I've ever seen. And again, a lot of times we talk about tra human traits and and characteristics and things that are not just exclusive to the SJW community. Like I, I have a friend who I feel like I always have to say I'm not, you know, of course this isn't just an SJW thing. It's just that, that I'm talking about it specifically in the SJW world. Um, but but the block happiness is almost exclusively I see people of that ideology. Um, I will occasionally block someone if they're just like, I mean, if they're really, really over the top annoying and are trolling and don't stop. But it's so rare. I, I, I could probably count it on on one hand, like the number of people I blocked, I just don't, it, I don't, I don't see a need for it. And most of the, um, SJWs I've encountered, some of them have you on block lists already where they don't even know you. They just go in and they say, anybody, you can do this. You can say anybody who follows X, Y, Z people, I want to block. So I'll never see them and they'll never be able to comment on my tweets. So sometimes I've tried to go respond to something and then I'm like, wait a minute, that person has me, but I don't even know who they are. I just must be on a block. I must follow someone that they don't like. Yeah. You know, I, I encountered that for the first time, actually, right, right before the show. I was uh, some crazy professor lady somewhere was saying something. I wanted to go look at her tweets and it, I was blocked. And so was Unsafe Space. And I was like, <laughs> why are we I've never heard of you. Why are we blocked? You're prematurely blocked. But see, that to me is fascinating. The psychology of that is fascinating too because they're so fragile, like you said. 
and they have to like try and whittle. It's it's almost like uh, the way that SJWs cultivate these really tight-knit echo chambers. My echo chamber was so small and limited in terms of ideas. Talk about a lack of diversity of ideas. It was all woke back-scratching. You know, it was just woke, woke, woke. And block list goes a step further. It's like, I'm not even going to wait to meet you and see if I like what you have to say. I'm just going to preemptively block all of you because if you follow this person, I'm assuming I don't like you. Which is weird because... That also indicates that they don't follow people they don't ag- disagree with. Right. I was going to say, how does how does anyone even report on the other side if they can't follow the other side and see what they're they saying? They only like, listen to what the mouthpieces tell them to think about stuff. See, I never followed anybody I I hated when I was in SJW. I never followed Milo Yiannopoulos. I was just told what to think about him by other SJW by the by the mouthpieces. By the media, by the woke media, I I, I never followed uh, uh, Ben Shapiro or any of the conservatives that I thought I did. I had you know, oh, they're awful. Without looking at anything they actually had to say or reading anything they wrote or watching any of their videos, I didn't follow. So everything is like secondhand knowledge that they have. So it tells me right there if they're if they automatically preemptively block you because you follow someone they don't like, it means they don't they don't follow anyone they disagree with at all, and they think that you shouldn't. And so, like, I follow some people I don't like. Like, on Unsafe Space, especially on that account, we follow Deborah Messing. She's a huge SJW. Oh, we, we follow, follow just, lots of horrible people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we follow lots of horrible people. <laughs> that should be our tagline. <laughs> we follow lots of horrible people. <laughs> That's our social media strategy, in case anyone's wondering. Follow lots of horrible people. Yeah, well, we do that. Um, but of course but we yes. do. So I think it's very fragile, and I think it points to the fact that they are in such a close-off echo chamber. They don't. They don't follow anyone who disagrees, and and then I also think it's. Um, I also th- the third thing I think is that it's a weird. It's an indication of the authoritarianism inherent in this ideology that we talk about. Uh, authoritarianism is built into SJW belief system. If they could, they wouldn't just block you on Twitter and and prevent you from responding to them. If they could, they would banish you from society. Like these Absolutely. people are have, they have dark little authoritarian hearts. Whenever I meet someone who's like that trigger happy and ban happy, I'm like, wow, you've told me a lot about what you would do with any power that's given to you. Well, and they're not even hiding it, Carrie. I mean, they talk about like they they want you to, uh, they want banks to ban you, they want to get you fired from your job, they want to block you from society, not Twitter. That's yeah. their that's what their their goal is. Um, so, I do think. Uh, I do think it's telling, though, of how fragile and weak their ideas are. I mean, if you, and and just they are as people. Like, if you need to have a tweet that no one's allowed to respond to, I just yeah. like, why are you even? Just go have a web page and put a put something up. Like, why are you on Twitter? Twitter, you can't. It's odd because this woman's title was what head of conversations. Um, oh, it's not a conversation if it's just like shout, but no one can respond. That's not a conversation. That is hilarious. I'm, I'm the head of conversations. Again, this is what we talk about, about how Orwellian they are. Yeah. I don't think these people are well-read. I don't think they read anything. They, they pretend to know what things mean, but I don't think they... It, when you say Orwellian, they've now put that on a list of alt-right buzzwords because it's an effective criticism because it's true. So it's like talking about the Overton window. I think they hear... That Orwellian, and they just go, ah, 
He was like oh, literally, George Orwell was like literally a socialist, right? He's a socialist, I know, but they don't know that, <laughs> and they don't read Orwell, and they don't, all they know is it's an effective, it seems to work as a takedown because it's true, because they are very Orwellian, and so they don't like it, and so they put it on a list of things that you're not supposed to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the good news is they have admitted that, or they have at least signaled that you'll still be allowed to quote tweet people, so I guess... You can still comment. You just have to quote tweet them. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think this is, I don't think this is actually devastating for conversations because we just start quote tweeting people and whatever. I just, it's indicative of the mindset. Like Twitter is paying this person to think about this policy and they're going to pay a bunch of people to implement this. And like, it really speaks to what they view their ideal Twitter user is. Their ideal Twitter user apparently is someone who needs to like be able to speak and not have anyone respond, be able to control who responds. Like it's this, uh, how fragile, how pathetic, and what bad ideas you have to have. I mean, if you've got really bad ideas, that's why you don't want people arguing with you. If you've got decent ideas, you're not afraid of responses. Right. So. Well, uh, I was just looking at chat, and Carlin says all of this, and they can't add a damn edit button. Yeah, they don't have the edit button for Twitter. Um, well, I did see something else uh, in their new TOS. They they are now putting shadow banning in there. Like now they're telling, like, see, yes. shadow banning is something that we've all known is happening. If you don't know it, like some people on Instagram, for example, were like, I don't think it's. Sh I'm like, Get okay, if you don't know it, you're not paying attention to what's happening. But yes, shadow banning is a thing. And that's when instead of overtly just banning you or blocking you from Twitter, they just, they uh, tweak things so that people can't see your posts. They don't come up as often or at all, or they, you don't come up in search anymore. Your account doesn't come up in search or on the, in the case of Instagram, your posts don't appear under the hashtags that are in the post. If you go to the hashtag itself, your posts aren't there. Um, that shadow banning is like a passive aggressive way of silently not letting you know, but affecting your reach. It's like, we're not going to just tell you, we're not going to tell you anything. We're just going to affect the, your, the reach of your posts. So that's been happening for a while. But what's interesting is that they've put in the TOS now, now they're telling you like we have the right to manipulate and to alter how many people see your posts. Right. And, and, and you know, like they're like, that's maybe this is what you should show that friend who was our your friend, the person you were arguing with on Facebook who was saying shadow banning wasn't a thing. Uh, it was Instagram, but yeah. Oh, Instagram. Um, yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's a thing. Now it's in the terms of service. It's still not a thing, though, Carrie, because it's an alt right conspiracy. So uh, <laughs> just, just stop. Isn't it funny how anything effective, any criticism that's effective or. Anything they don't want you to talk about, they just they they're it's it's such a it's such a simple tactic. But if they can successfully paint it as alt right or paint a person as alt right, then it's banished because they know they know that the zombies, the people who like me who are in the cult, like who don't get their information directly from other sources, who just form their opinion based on what they're told, are not going to go investigate it. If I were still an SJW. And somebody called our show alt right. I would just believe it. I wouldn't watch our show. Right. <laughs> right. I would just I would just rail against that alt right channel. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of, it's sad, but it's also it, I have to laugh at stuff like that. It's, you know. Well, I mean that's yeah. Yeah. No, that that's um. I mean that's the whole. 
I think that's the whole, not to get into open a can of worms, but I think that's the whole purpose of our education system right now is to like have indoctrinated little automatons who will come out and be willing to accept whatever they're told by their quote authorities. Um, and you know, if Ben Shapiro is a Nazi, then, then Ben Shapiro is a Nazi and like, you're not supposed to question it. Um, it's, I think our iron education system is designed to destroy independent thought completely because independent thought is dangerous. So, um, you know, it's too bad, but that's where we are. Mm. Uh, I, the other thing I want to talk about, did you see the Jesse, the Jesse Smollett thing, Carrie? No. Is there something new? Uh, there is, although surprisingly, I don't want to know if I, I'll say I'm on his side, but, uh, there's something disturbing about this. So, background everyone knows who jesse smollett was the the actor from uh empire who was uh allegedly attacked he hoaxed the whole thing right um well uh i don't know if you remember afterwards the um kim fox who was i guess the prosecutor she dismissed all the charges against against jesse the, the one who was basically in collusion with and trying to protect him right she like was in communication with his family and whatever anyway yeah so after she dismissed all these charges um there was like a public outcry uh and a new special prosecutor was appointed his name is dan webb um and the cook the cook county judge in charge of this his name is mike michael tuman um webb asked for a very extensive search warrant um uh for both Smollett and Smollett's manager, who, if you'll remember, they, they were in cahoots, apparently, allegedly. Um, the search warrant, man, okay, ready for this? Uh, okay. and, and the judge issued this. The judge, the judge said yes to this. Google's been ordered to turn over, Google has been ordered to turn over email, photos, location data, private messages, including drafted and deleted messages, Google Drive files, Google voice text, calls and contacts, search and web browsing history, and location data for an entire year. And they were authorized, then they were told not to disclose this order because it might jeopardize the ongoing criminal investigation. Wait, wait, you mean small small A stuff? They've been ordered to turn this over? Yeah, Google's been ordered to turn over a year of all that data. And, And what are the charges? Um, it's basically the same kind of thing. It's like, I think the original charge was disorderly conduct, which is kind of, I don't know if that's a light version of lying to the police. I'm not sure hoaxing an incident, but that's, that's they're they're trying to, um, ascertain whether this was a hoax. Cause Smollett, by the way, still claims that it was real. I don't know if you know that he still claims that's that. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. He claims that a white guy, um, was directing the two Nigerian friends of his to do this, and they just made up the whole story together, and it really is a real, this really happened. Um, so, uh, okay, well, here's, okay, well, first of all, that, again, talk about psychology and being fascinating. We've discussed him, this has been a while since we've discussed it, but he fascinates me in the same way that, I like to read true crime sometimes, and uh, like uh, Joe McGinnis's book, um, oh gosh, what was that book about Jeffrey McDonald? You know, the Green Beret Killer? No. You know, uh, know what? Okay. You're, you're way up more up on serial killers than I am. Sorry. <laughs> Let me open my file. <laughs> anyway, she she actually has files, people. That's not a joke. 
that that book is fascinating to me in the same way that uh, OJ's book, what if I did it, is fascinating to me because I think you, you can see in, into each of them. You have a person, you have a person who, like Smollett, in my opinion, all three of those guys are just doubling down the lie, and they're such narcissists they can't see that nobody's buying it anymore. I didn't buy Smollett's lie at the beginning, but and you didn't, but we stayed quiet about it until the evidence came out. And then and all the media and all the celebrities and everyone's just buying it. And then, but then they, nobody buys it anymore. And he's still, done, he's still, he's such a narcissist. He thinks he can still fool you or fool someone. And that's what those books are like to me. Jeffrey McDonald opening his life up to Joe McGinnis to write about the murders because he's so convinced that he can fool you. OJ Simpson writing this book, what if I did it where he basically confesses to everything except the actual murder, but you get to, you get into his psychology and you're like, you don't realize how damaging neither of those guys realize how damaging those books are. Anyway, I'm, I'm going on a tangent, but that kind of stuff, the, the, the capacity for human evil, um, like self delusion, uh, narcissism, all that stuff is really interesting to me. And so the fact that he's still pretending yeah. like, <laughs> I'm like, Wow, like what a psychopath. That yeah. I'm like you're a psychopath. But yeah. anyway, it's fa- that's, it, that's, I agree with you on that much. It is fascinating a, that he's still pretending. Yeah. I want to see I mean, I would like to, to just be a doctor interviewing him, but <laughs> in another life I'd be like talking to people like him. Um but anyway, the, the okay, so them re- requesting all of his Google, his emails and stuff. Okay, well here's what I think about that. I don't know if I have a strong opinion yet. I'd like to hear what you think. My gut reaction is that I guess it depends. The, the reason I asked her what are the charges is because I guess to me it might depend on what the charges are. Like if somebody murders someone, yes, I believe it's I, – I believe you should be able to get a warrant to look at their online activity. There was a woman uh, murdered here in Texas a few years ago. It's still a mystery. Um, Terry Missy Beavers was her name. And it was a really weird circumstances and everything. They had a warrant to check her online activity for a reason, because it turns out she was uh, engaging in multiple affairs with people from LinkedIn, which I was like, LinkedIn? <laughs> like, LinkedIn <laughs> oh, actually, you know, a couple of years ago, LinkedIn did kind of turn weird. But yeah, okay. I thought that was for business stuff. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was. But, it I guess still is. I don't know. But any of those, if without the warrant, you wouldn't be able to track down any of those leads. Like you wouldn't know what the person was doing. So in the case of murder, absolutely, I think that warrants are justified. Um, in the case of what, whatever charges are being brought against him, I'm not sure. I do think that what he did uh, in the scale of magnitude, in his case, because he's an actor and because of all the national attention, the media attention it got, I think it was really damaging to the psyche of the nation. I think it was really damaging to culturally and um, and so I, the severity of it, I think was really bad. So I might be inclined to say, and we might disagree on this, I might be inclined to say, yeah, get that warrant. See yeah. what he, he was talking about. Yeah, I well, I, I had a gut reaction, but then um, I paused to think about my gut reaction as I'm, when I'm behaving well, that's what I do. Uh, and, um, you know, my gut reaction was like, oh my God, that's authoritarian and horrible. And how dare they like, they don't need a year's worth of all this crap, blah, blah, blah. 
And then I thought about it a little more and I realized, well, um, the detail that I don't know here, and I, I imagine this to be true, but maybe it's not. Um, typically, like the way disclosure works, for example, I don't know if this works. I'm not, I've not been involved in criminal investigations, but I have been involved in um, civil uh, investigations like between companies, like lawsuits between companies. And the way disclosure works, and I don't know if warrants work the same way, but the way disclosure would work is um, you would be ordered to uh, turn over information, but they would have some like keywords or something. So they would say to Google, look, any communications may be between Jesse and his manager, anything about these, these particular, like anything relating to this, like this, that's what has to be turned over. And you might work with like a lawyer who actually has a responsibility to not lie about that, right? And and present that information correctly. So they wouldn't, it's not like they would just get all of his, you know, porn search history or whatever from his web browser, right? They would get this stuff, any stuff that's real related to the investigation. So I don't know if this is how that works, but if that's how that works, that seems completely legitimate and reasonable to me. If you're you're being investigated for a crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, a third party has information that can either exonerate or help convict, like that's evidence. Right. And asking that third party to produce that information, um, even if it's across a wide range of things and information maybe you thought was deleted or whatever, but it's there. And if it's related, I don't, I think it's too far for to them to say, Google, just send us everything you got on Jesse Small. Like, I think that's True. too much. Um, but if it's everything you got in this time period related to these things, I don't, I'm not, I'm not as outraged as I was when I first saw that. I first, my first reaction was like, ah, this is horrible and authoritarian. But um, I don't know. So that, that's my reaction. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I think we're probably we're pretty much in agreement then for the most part. This is one of those things. I like these kind of conversations because, you know, I don't necessarily know. I don't have a strong opinion um, until I talk things through and kind of see what other people think. And, and, and again, not to belabor the point, but when I was in SJW, all this is new to me in the past few years. You know, when I was in SJW, it's like you just you just try and cycle through all the information in your head and spit out what you think is the correct ideological response. Right. So, and and that makes you a hypocrite too, necessarily. It makes you unprincipled because it depends on like like in the case of Jesse Smollett, I don't know. A, a, an SJW might say Google shouldn't have they shouldn't have the right to get the evidence on it because they don't want it to come out that he was lying. So right, of course. But then in another case, if it was somebody they don't like, they'd be like, yeah, turn over the files. So, was, so that's what being that's what being an ideologue is like. It makes you into a constant hypocrite. Yeah. Or yeah. I, the thing that uh, it did that did strike me is I think it's a good reminder to everyone how much information Google has about you. So yeah. Uh, I still sometimes use Chrome, although I try to use Brave more than Chrome is for my web browser. Um, you can get like a little VPN for your house, like a VPN box. Like your your internet provider and Google both have a hell of a lot of information about you. So. Um, just a reminder that that information may be private, but not if you're going to be involved in some sort of legal thing that'll it'll come out. So, oh well. All right. So, um, oh, by the way, in chat, someone also says that um, the district attorney has lawyered up, also, which I didn't realize. And I guess uh, 
Dr. Carlin, do you mean the district attorney Kim uh, Fox, the old district attorney? I'm not sure. I, I, th- I assume that's who she's talking about. But that's interesting. So they may be going after her. Someone mentioned in chat this. There was like odd, weird connections. Like Obama, one of someone who used to work for Obama, like some Obama, uh, someone in his entourage or whatever, they reached out to Kim Fox earlier on and said like, hey, talk to Smollett's family. And so like there were some weird kind of connections and stuff going on there. And so. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's why she yeah, ended up Those not. links. Yeah, that's why she didn't do it, because she's scratching the back of these uh, former Obama admin people. Yeah, but it, and as Low Res Boy points out in chat, it's a loose link. Yeah, it is a loose link, so it's not. Um, and and Carl, Dr. Carlin says, yes, that's who she's talking about. Okay. Um, well, I mean, loose link in that, here's the thing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It could have, it could have been a, not that it would be, but it could have been a Republican politician too. The point being that, this prosecutor is corrupt, and I mean we know these things. We know people are. Wait, corrupt there's a prosecutor in Chicago who's corrupt. Please explain. <laughs> Tell me more. But you know, for political back scratching, we'll refuse. We'll try and kill a squash a prosecution to win brownie points with someone that she likes. Like that's, I mean, that's all that. That's why that's important to me. Yeah. Someone in chat points out it was Michelle Obama's ex chief of staff. That's who the person was. Oh, Thank that's you. right. That's right. It's Thank been a you. while since we talked I forgot, about this. I forgot about who it was, but um, hey, can we go on a little tangent for a second? You all always carry. What do you want? So two different people in chat said I, I was scrolling up. Uh, Omara and Laura were talking about how who are both women were talking about how they know a lot of women who are fascinated by true crime and serial killers. I saw that. I was wondering if you were going to pick up on that. Yeah, because I, I mean, I could talk about this forever. But <laughs> do you think, why do you think that is? Why do you think women are more, there's a comedian, I forget who it was, but oh gosh, who was it that was, somebody was telling a joke about, um, anyway, it was a, fee, it was a woman t- telling a joke about, you know, being a single woman and having to leave work early so she could get home and watch all of her uh, true crime about being about single women being murdered. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, why is that? Do you think women have more of a fascination with that than men? Or you're asking me? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm with true crime. I, yeah. Well, I'm I'm neither a woman nor am I into serial killers and true crime. So, uh, that's a good question. Um. Just off the top of my head, and don't, you know, look, I'm not an expert. Carrie just asked me off the top of my head. I'm just a guy guessing. Um, one of the things about a lot of serial killers is a lot of their victims are women. So um, I think there's something relatable and, and particularly personal about about it. Like it's an experience that you could imagine happening, which is makes it frightening and scary and kind of more alluring because there's a lot, a lot of... There's something alluring often. That's why people like horror movies and stuff like that. Um, maybe for a guy who's like, you know, a guy reading about Ted Bundy is like, well, that guy should be put to death. He's horrible. I, I, I can't relate directly to being a victim of his because I wouldn't have been a victim of his, right? Um, so it could be that. Um, I also actually, Carrie, I'm wondering, though, um, if there's another element to it that um, do you think the interest in true crime and serial killing has, um, do you think it's correlated to the level of healthy masculinity that's in the environment? And, and my, my proposition here would be 
maybe if there's not a lot of healthy masculine energy, like power, like powerful masculine energy that's healthy Positive. in the world, yeah, that um, women sort of fetishize negative masculine energy because at least it's masculine energy. It's not some you know dude with a man bun drinking soy. Um, what do you think? I don't think that's it. And actually, I do see there's a guy in the chat who's well, somebody. Oh, and Tamara, who's not a guy. Or somebody said uh, it's this whole bad boy thing, and then Tamara says like Beauty and the Beast tame him. And that's kind of related to what I'm saying name. there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's it at all. At least not for me. It's okay. not that. I do get. I do get the whole in romance novels and stuff the bad boy thing, and I get that Beauty and the Beast analogy that Peterson talks about, and I, I get all of that when it comes to romance novels. True crime for me is different. It's more about. Um, it might be related to just. Maybe maybe somebody called it fear porn. Maybe it's related to a lack of positive, healthy masculinity uh, being being more of a cultural phenomenon at the moment. And so maybe there's just more fear naturally as a woman where you want to see, like you said, what's the realm of possibility of horrible things that could happen to me? I don't know. Maybe that's it. But for me, more often than not, I'll tell you just from personal experience, it's more about it's 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 not about the masculinity about it at all. It's about the psychology of evil. I'm just as fascinated by the female killers. I'm just as fascinated like mm. the women, like the Susan Smiths who who kill their kids. I'm just those those also it because what what what's fascinating about to me is the is the human capacity for evil and being able to see yourself in someone who does something so atrocious and evil and trying to understand it. So you don't That's think it's necessarily I, related to you being more likely to be in the victim category than a guy would be? No, I don't. I think it's just that uh, maybe maybe if women do like true crime more than men, I don't know if they do. But if they if they do, maybe it's that whole thing about like women saying that women like to work with people more than they do things. Women are more interested in people. Maybe it just relates back to that interest in trying to understand this psych psychopathic type of person oh, okay i can or, see that because because i was like, going to say you didn't explain it because i'm like well why wouldn't everyone be interested in the psychology of evil but that explains it maybe a little bit yeah like i want to understand more about it and how people can do that evil thing and i want and and if i'm honest i want to ask myself could i be capable of these horrible things and i think that's part of recognizing your darkness like peterson talks about your shadow and right uh, not pretending like I don't know. Not that not that we're all psychopaths. <laughs> I'm just saying sometimes those like the really dark examples um, are 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 interesting to me because I'm asking that question of like how much of this is illness, how much of this is evil. What's the difference between mental illness and evil? I have those conversations a lot. Like yeah. I have an atheist friend who believes we may have talked about him before. That he believes that that anything that we call evil is just a kind of mental illness that will one day be cured. And I don't believe that. He, is he like, the guy like, that you did the proto the pilot show that we never aired with? Yes, yes. So like he believes, for example, this is another case I was fascinated with, and this is not a male killer. This is a female killer. It was the nanny killer in New York a few years ago who butchered these two little kids she was in charge of for years. Like she had a relationship with these kids. And she... And that one was interesting to me because of her reasoning for it. It was at the heart of a lot of evil, I think, is resentment. 
and she resented the mother so much. She said she wanted to see the mother's face or something like that when the mother saw her kids, like their bodies. Like, can you imagine? Wow. That's how much she hated that woman. And that one, we were talking about it once. He and I gave that as an example of what I saw as evil. And he was saying, well, there's something wrong in the nanny's head. And one day, basically, like medical science will be able to give her that type of person a pill, and then they won't do that horrible thing. And I just don't think that's true. Right, right. Well, I mean, that that the person you're talking to specifically was a determinist, so that denies free will completely. And uh, that's why you don't think that's going to be true someday, because you believe in free will, as do I. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm interested in that. Uh, I'm interested in in that. Obviously, I like philosophy. I'm interested in psychology. That's fascinating to me but um but i'm not as a i'm not as drawn to it as you are i'm not i'm more like well uh what do we do as a society about this and i'm less interested in like what is this person's particular state of brokenness um and i don't know if that's a male female thing or this just the difference between you and me i don't know have you known a lot of or any or a lot of narcissists or psychopaths in your life have you ever known uh, that or people you would you would think you would call in your opinion i mean narcissists yes a psychopath i don't know i mean i may have met some psychopaths that are just really because psychopaths can be really good at mimicking um right so i don't know but uh because i wonder if that uh, also makes a person more interested in it if they are trying to understand people they've known <laughs> oh possibly <laughs> possibly i could see that being a driving factor like oh what was going on with mom or whoever theoretically <laughs> or whoever <laughs> um because okay. you know we talk about that stat that more most psychopaths are not murderers right uh, there's like, a lot of functioning uh, psychopaths i think actually. yes yeah. we all know i'm sh probably maybe know a psychopath um psychopaths make good surgeons <laughs> do yes. we read that like yeah yeah they make good surgeons like, yeah i think we yeah. did read that yeah somebody in the chat says also are most ceos psychopaths i can't remember i i do remember seeing a study about the professions that psychopaths are good at <laughs> anyway yeah i don't know i don't by the way I, I find this stuff really interesting so uh the study that i just i just did a quick google search um it says one in five CEOs are psychopaths. So, by the way, be careful when you word things. Uh, there's a difference between saying uh, psychopaths are good at being CEOs and most CEOs are psychopaths. Those are very different right. statements. Very psychopaths different are very good at being CEOs. In fact, 20% apparently are psychopaths, but most are not. So, Yeah, well, as Tamara points out, Tamara has some stats in the chat. Tamara says... Uh, 1% of the population are psychopaths, 5 to 10% of business managers are psychopaths. You know, actually, yeah, I think that makes sense, sense, by the way. Does it? Yeah, I think it makes total <laughs> sense. Have Have you ever, well, I know you've managed people, but if you're a business manager um, or a CEO, one of the things, one of the most important things you need to do is manage the psychology of other people. And you have to do it consciously and actively. You have to be like, be aware of like, this is what this person needs to succeed. These are their pitfalls. This is how I can motivate them. This is how this is what would discourage them. These are the roles that they would be good in. You have to be thinking actively about the psychology of the people um, in your organization. And uh, I think a psychopath actually has a lifelong practice doing that because they don't 
intuitively relate to anyone. They're always thinking about other people's psychology and how to manipulate them. So it's actually a skill set that I think would be applying to being a manager or CEO. It makes sense. It's a great point. That is a really great point. That's why this, okay, now to bring it back to something unrelated, not about psychopaths, but about (laughs) manipulating people and figuring out how they tick and stuff. Um, That's why that woman we've talked about before, the one who invited me to her group about using civility in order to convince Trump voters they're wrong. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I love that Facebook group. Yeah. Yes, because she does it. She's still doing it. I was talking about it with Nicole of the Mountain people the other day. She goes onto her page where she will actively add a bunch of Trump voters and conservatives. And then she'll ask their uh, responses and opinions to stuff. And then she'll go into her private group with all the progressives where you teach them how to use civility to change the Trump voters mind. And it's like, these are the guinea pigs. And then she goes and she's not at the root of it. What bothers me is that she's not asking conservatives questions or people who disagree with her questions because she is open and and open to the idea that she might learn something from them she's she wants to learn how to manipulate them like you you pointed that out to me and then a light bulb went off and i said that's why it bothers me she's not actually trying to get any knowledge from them other than how to manipulate them she's coming from this place of arrogance that she's the only one with something to teach and she just has to figure out the right little method to manipulate them to make them agree with her and then she goes into the group and she shares what she's learned from the her page her open page and it's like here's how to twist the you know here's how to twist the screws on your trump voting relatives and it something about that just really grosses me out yeah it's i mean um (laughs) it is psychopathic which is actually similar you can imagine uh like an analogy would be imagine an alien species i actually think an alien species like a completely alien species coming to observe humans would be somewhat we might even classify them as psychopathic in some way like they have no intuitive ability to understand what the hell's going on and 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 empathize with us in any way so they're just kind of studying us like what do the humans do? Like, and that's what she's doing in that group. Like, what do the Trump supporters? Ah, this is how we can manipulate them. It's um, yes. it's psychopathic. It's like studying them. Yes, it's gross. Uh, yeah, you reminded me of an old Jerry Seinfeld joke about how if aliens came to Earth and observed human life, they would think that the dogs were in charge because humans walk behind them and pick up their poop. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, Maybe okay. the dogs are in charge, Carrie. Yeah. Um. I, you know, can I and I talk about one other thing here? Yes. Whatever. Can you I like. change the subject? Is that okay? Please. We you you humored me and it made me very happy. Something <laughs> interesting. So your turn. <laughs> well, this is going to be way less interesting, but I still want to. I'm just I'm nerdy. Um. So I did not. We do not. Just to be clear, we do not subscribe to the Atlantic. Kind of. <laughs> My wife's company subscribes to The Atlantic. Um, so I read this article um, called How America Ends um, <laughs> in The Atlantic. And um, do you want to know how it ends, Carrie? Oh, gosh. Is what? it Trump related? <laughs> so it's, look, the whole article is kind of like about this. Um, this idea that we're kind of spiraling towards a civil war, um, which, you know, you you and I have kind of talked about. It's talking about the fractured electorate. and um, But 
it again because it's the Atlantic. It's like it mostly blames Trump. Um, it blames his rhetoric, and it basically says it's up to the right to rein in their radicals. And what the right needs to do is just um, relax into enjoy the rape. Basically, like relax into it, and uh, you know um, things are going to change. Start appealing to other people. Uh, you know they, and then they, and then they bring race into it, and and immigration stuff um and that's the part that really was interesting to me they the article starts talking about what we know to be true which is that um america is on a path i think within the next 10 20 years um whites will no longer be in a majority in america and um the article was arguing that and and this the reason i think this is interesting is because i think this is where um this is where the next, as if intersectionality dies this year, remember we talked about like yeah. uh, the Dave Rubin thing, right? If intersectionality yeah. as like a cool wokeness thing, if a lot of that dies and it's and it becomes obvious that uh, the oppression Olympics are a bad idea, I think the next tactic, and it's not a new tactic, it's something you and I have talked about a lot, but I think the next mainstream tactic is to blame everything on white fragility um, and to basically say, because that's kind of what this article is doing. It's saying, well... Um, the problem is the only problem with people opposing the the left is basically that a bunch of white people don't like uh, they're worried that they're going to lose power. They're worried that there's brown people coming in and they're worried that they're going to lose power. And that's that kind of sums up the problem. And what you have to do, according to this article, is you should just make this a battle of ideas and then you won't have a problem. That's that's the summary of the article. Wait, they're saying they're saying that SJWs are saying we should make this a battle of ideas. Yeah, they're saying they're, there's the article saying, well, um, hey Republicans, if you would just make this a battle of ideas and stop being f- worried about the demographic shift, because we know that's really all it is for you, right? You're not really talking about ideas. You're just you're just worried about demographics. But, but I, I mean, you know this, but that's projection, because SJWs are the ones who are concerned and and SJWs have taken over almost all the left, the mainstream left, at least the part of the left with a mouthpiece. They're the ones that care about demographics. They're the ones that care about race. They're the ones that care about gen. That's all we hear. Mike Harlow, our friend had a really funny debate episode where he was making fun of the democratic debate, but it's basically like the whole debate is blah, 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 woman, blah, 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 black, blah, 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 gay, blah, blah. It's just identity, (laughs) identity, identity, identity. That's all they care about. They don't care about ideas. And that's why people like Mikey and I have walked away from our party. That's why we've walked away from the Democratic Party, because we're sick of it. I want to hear ideas. That is projection. That's cr- and, and again, talk about things that SJWs do that, that are not, it's not just SJWs who do it, but that is a big one. They project all the time. Yeah, they do like to project, but they're, they're, It's a little bit more nuanced because I think the article actually does bring up some truths. Like it, it is true that the white population is going to be not a majority anymore. Um, and I, I think that the author is conflating a few things. So the author is basically saying you're racist because you're worried about immigration. Um, and and that's, that's the problem. Um, but I just want to cite some stats. There's a reason to worry about immigration apart from race. Um, race is not a reason to worry about immigration. Race is not relevant. Um, I agree. But, right. So I just I want to be clear about that. We're not. This is not about like stopping people with a certain color skin. Um, 
However, if you look at, this is just a Pew study. This one, this study just looks at uh, Hispanic. I guess when it was made, it was called Hispanic in 2012. I guess now they would be in trouble. They'd have to say Latino, but the words that they're using are Hispanic. Um, of the illegal immigrants, and I remember illegal immigrants have kids, obviously, and so they eventually, the kids will vote, right? So illegal immigrants re- identify as Democrat eight times more than they identify as Republican. Eight times. The ratio is eight to one. Um, and even of the Latino immigrants eligible to vote, they're five times more likely to identify as Democrats than Republicans. Um, so I think what the left, if the left really wants to have this conversation, if we really want to have this conversation out in the open, here's the problem. I think the right is worried about, correctly so, importing large populations who are Democrats. And that will shift the dynamics of the conversation. And so you can make the ba- you can make it a battle of ideas. A battle of ideas is great, but if you're importing a bunch of people who are already predisposed to one party's ideas, you have to expect the other party to push back. And that's not uh, racism. That's just you know preservation of the ideas that they're pushing. Now, can after several generations those uh, children and children and grandchildren of immigrants can like can they be um, uh, can they be assimilated through ideas? Like, can they come to believe in small government and the principles of liberty and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, they could, but the left is entirely in charge of the academic apparatus. So all the educational system is in the hands of the left. So the idea that, like, hey, you should just make it a battle of ideas, but but by the way, we're indoctrinating them for their entire educational life, and we won't let it, there be any alternate ideas in university spaces without large protests and ostracizing people. And uh, we're going to ban ideas that we don't like. But just make it a just make it about ideas, Republicans. That's you know that's your solution. Stop worrying about immigration. Of course, they can't make it about ideas. They're not allowed to make it about ideas. They don't control any of the educational apparatus. Of course, they're going to push back on basically stuffing the ballot box with immigrants who are going to vote Democrat. I, I don't understand why that's so hard to understand for people. Well, I don't think that's the reason why people are pushing back on it because if, even though that may be true that illegal immigrants are vote for Democrats eighty percent of the time. That's not why the people I know who oppose illegal immigration oppose illegal immigration. They would oppose it even if they were voting for Republicans. They oppose it because it's illegal. <laughs> oh, I'm not talking about illegal immigration. I'm just talking about like okay. immigration generally. Oh, okay. But but you, I thought you said illegal immigration at the beginning. Well, the, there were two steps. One was illegal and one was uh, legal. Right. But either way, I, but then I think it's important to separate those because that's one of their red herrings. That's one of their things they say, which is that I've heard them say anyway, and I used to believe that Republicans opposed illegal immigration because of the way that illegal immigrants vote. But I've come to know a lot of Republicans, and that's not why they oppose it. They would oppose it if they voted Republican because they're principled. I'm not saying all Republicans. Right. I'm saying some people I know that who the, those with principles oppose it because it's illegal. <laughs> Right, and that, and and that's that we have borders because they want people to do things the legal way. So you're like that. I think is if you're talking specifically about illegal immigration, why buy into their narrative 
that everyone's a hypocrite like they are and will and will uh, is it only against it because of the way people are voting. I think that's dumb. But yeah, not dumb. But, not that you're dumb. I'm just saying I don't. I don't. I no, 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 no. I, 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 I agree. I don't think that illegal. Although I, I do think there are parts of. I do think there are plenty of people on the right who are worried about. Um, in fact, I know people on the right who are worried about the voting effects of illegal immigration, specifically um, like next generation and whatever, because they they are more still more likely to vote Democrats. So there are definitely people who are aware of that demographic shift. Would yes. those would those people equally be opposed to illegal immigration if illegal immigrants were voting for Republicans eighty percent? Yeah, of course. Yes, that's my point. They are against it either way. Yeah, but, but they are, but they are yeah, also simultaneously also extra concerned, concerned right? right? Right. And 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 look, I mean, I'll I'll be maybe you'll call me a hypocrite for this, but like, uh, if I could wave a wand and only allow people, like only immigrants, legal or illegal, if there was a magic litmus test that was like, do you understand the value of? Liberty, small government, um, individual rights, uh, freedom of speech. Do you understand why the Second Amendment should be like? Do you understand the founding principles of the nation as uh, kind of philosophically and why they're important? And only then can you come in? I would do that. Absolutely. And like that's, I would totally do that. You wouldn't? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. What's the question again? I mean, I, I mean, I, I agree. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying that, like, uh, there's nothing wrong with, with. Uh, so yes, people would oppose. Many Republicans would oppose illegal immigration anyway. However, forget the, forget even the illegal part of it. Just there, there is reason to be concerned about a demographic shift in the U.S. that involves only the influx of socialists. Or largely, uh, I agree. True. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's basically what that's basically what happened. It's not all socialists. I'm just I'm being hyperbolic, right? And it's not that the it's not that people immigrants can't be convinced. My wife's an immigrant. She's a capitalist. Like, yes, they can be convinced. However, um, it has a huge impact on the culture if you're just letting people in the country who are going to continue to vote more and more left over time the country will move left and it's not racist to be concerned about that but that's kind of the gist of this article which is like well it's racist for you white people to be concerned you just need to expand your definition of what an american think, is well i here's my positive spin on this you were saying at the beginning of introducing this topic or this article that if if like Ruben predicted intersectionality dies or whatever in 2020 or it's the beginning of the death that this is what comes next no, it's not. This is intersectionality. This is the same old, same old. There's nothing new here. This is them saying, if you oppose us, you're a racist. You know, if you oppose illegal immigration, you're a racist. It's the same old thing. This oh, yeah. I'm not of, arguing this isn't yeah, intersectionality. Yeah, but this yeah. is part of what I think is going to die. L like, let them keep pushing these tactics. I saw somebody on social media shared an image from uh, New Yorker magazine of a photo shoot they were doing for a new cover. And it was like, you know, the face of radicalism in America or something like that. And it was a highly stylized photo shoot. And I liked the fact that it was pulled away so you could see all the cameras and all the work that went into it. And it was a KKK with a KKK hood. And it was just like watching 
I like the photo because you're standing back a bit. It's not just the cover of the magazine. You're watching them construct this fake false narrative. Right. You're watching the work that goes into that photo shoot of convincing us that we're living in the middle of some resurgence of the KKK and that that's that that's the big problem in the US right now. And it's not. It's not the big problem right now. Um, it, they would love for us to think that's what it is. But they're going to keep doing that. They're going to keep making those magazine covers. They're going to keep making these arguments that, you know, that are completely false about they're going to keep doing lies. People are still going to believe for a while some of these lies about like tr it's more likely to be man murdered if you're trans. No, you're not. Look at their stats. Their stats show you you're not more likely to be murdered if you're trans. You're less likely to be murdered if you're trans. Trans people are more likely to murder other people. That's an interesting stat. Oh, really? Wait, trans yes. people are more likely to I be murderers? I saw a study about that this morning. Now, it's just one study and I want to do some more reading. But I was like, well, that's interesting. They never say that. Um, I wonder why that's the case. But anyway, uh, they, they will continue to push these lies and trying to convince you that we're, you're living in a world that we're not living in. But, but I do believe it's all going to come crashing down. Not all in 2020. I just think this is the year where culturally it starts to die. It's going to become uncool. And you're going to see some of the, um, I'm sorry, we're doing a prediction thing now again. But again, I think you're going to see some of the, the wokerati celebrities who are just there because it's what's popular. The ones who don't really care, they're just narcissists or sociopaths who move from whatever's popular to whatever's popular for personal gain. You'll see them move out of wokeness into um, criticizing it once there's a critical mass in that direction. That's when you know it's really dying, when those people come on board, you know? Yeah, I, I I don't think um, I know this is I know the white fragility thing is part of intersectionality when we talk about it, um, but I don't think it's been at the national level. I don't think it's been the the national explanation. I has not like you don't I don't see I think on a lot of make mainstream media the national explanation for why Republicans are opposing anything is, yeah, they say they're racist, blah, blah, blah. But I think they're going to start talking about the demographic, the demographic shift more. And they're going to use uh, the demographic yeah. shift as justification for the argument that like, oh, there is a demographic shift. And this is why we can ignore people that would disagree with us because they're just worried about the demographic shift. And that's racist to worry about. That's, that's what I think will happen. Right. But that's why I think you don't play into their dumb arguments. Like, it's not. They're the ones who are saying white people are worried about the demographic. It's like, no, you're the people only. You're the only people talking about it, other than uh, the the actual alt right, which is not that big. I don't know. Most people who are criticizing woke culture and SJWism, we, I don't, I don't care about the racial element. I care about culture. Right. We're not talking about. Uh, De racial demographics the way that they do. They're obsessed with it. They're obsessed with it. SJWs are just like white nationalists. They're obsess obsessed with race. It's important to them. And so don't don't let that, I don't know, that's a straw man that they try to say this is what people are obsessed Well, no, you're the one talking about it. It's like that article we read about uh, where they even tried to say, why is there such an increase in um, suicides and overdoses among the white working class? Well, it's because of their own racism. Oh, yeah, I remember that. 
<laughs> it's because wow. they're all racist and it's horrible to be racist. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And again, <laughs> I, I get tired of them. Um, this goes back to something I see on a small scale happen all the time. I see people, instead of asking people they disagree with, why do you have that opinion? And listening to what they have to say, they they assume they know better than the person they're talking about and they put words into their mouth all the time. This is just that on a large scale. This is just the media saying, oh, you're just concerned about race without asking. It's the same thing about Trump. Why did you vote for Trump? Nobody, no, SJWs don't care. They're not, they're not gonna ask you why you voted for Trump and listen to you. They are gonna say, you voted for Trump because you're a racist, as if they know. Like, and and I found that to be true online when I started trying to figure out, I was actually ask, asking the question, I wanted to know why did you vote for Trump? Right. <laughs> and that was a no-no, because we supposedly already know, SJWs already know, we don't have to ask them. So, anyway. Yeah. Um, I guess the thing that bothers me is that I actually think it's worth, I think actually the demographic shift is worth talking about, but not because of race. Um, I think it's worth talking about because of cultural changes in ideology. Um, and I, I think the problem is what they do is they, they, they're going to take, I guess this is what's bothering me. They're going to take this demographic shift um, issue and they're going to label it with racism and that will prevent anyone from actually having a real discussion about the demographic, the demographic shift and why it's actually a, a, a problem for ideas, for like for culture. And why, like, we're not allowed to have any kind of conversation around it because the whole thing's been labeled as like, well, only, it's only a racist thing to discuss, right? Um, so that's what they're going to do. I, I, and I think, you know, I, I was thinking about, I don't think that intersectionality uh this intersect this woke stuff i don't think it's gonna go quietly into the night i don't think it's no. gonna I, I think when it ends it will end like every year we sent we tend to think like oh it can't get any more ridiculous but like i think it it's just gonna get increasingly ridiculous before it explodes or implodes or whatever so when hillary clinton started using some sjw buzzwords Right. Like when she talked about implicit bias, which is an SJW lexicon thing, and we all have implicit bias. No, we don't. That's that's not a scientific fact. Even even the uh, people who wrote the original or created the original uh, implicit bias association test, one or two of them, is it two of them? One of them at least has recanted and said, you know, this isn't this doesn't work. <laughs> so it's not right. a provable, measurable thing but she's talking about it as if it's a fact. That's an SJW talking point. When, back when she first did that, I was like, whoa. Okay, it's starting to move into the highest levels of the mainstream Democratic Party because Clinton is using these words. Well, it's only gotten worse since then. That was like, I, I, I just remember that word because, again, being an SJW, my ears perked up and I was like, implicit bias. And then, and now, can you? who could imagine just three short years later, you know, this past year, 2019, you have a whole plethora of Democratic candidates on stage mouthing these nonsense words and talking about, you know, black trans women are the backbone of society. Are they? <laughs> like saying crazy stuff that doesn't, that's just virtue signaling nonsense, you know, and uh, my pronouns are. And who would have thought that in three short years, you, Jeremy Corbyn, my pronouns are like, what? 
Right. Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, politically, it's really tempting to do because um, it, uh, it works on people who, um, it, it works on an emotional level for a large percentage of the population. Let's just put it that way. Um, to, to talk, to talk like that, it, those, the language works. It's emotionally charged language. It's not rational. Um, it, uh, it, it works and it makes room for, um, in that system, there's lots of need for manipulation of the population. There's lots of like programs and policies and initiatives and things to do and ways to spend money and ways to gain power like there's lots of room at the top there's way there's a lot of there's a lot of power hierarchy that's needed for this so that language is extremely tempting to anyone that's uh left-leaning if they're a politician because it enables them and and frankly they're in a culture where if they don't use that language they'll be called a nazi so they but yeah. it, it, I mean, even even earlier, the reason I think Hillary Clinton would um, adopt something like implicit bias is uh, implicit bias. Bias. It's a great way to undercut arguments too, right? Like all this stuff is a great way to be like, oh, my opponent disagrees. Implicit bias. Done. I'm done having an argument. I don't have to defend my ideas. I just want power. All these things are great tools uh, for the struggle to power, which is what they're very, which is what they're obsessed with. And the reason they're great tools for power is, as you've pointed out, that's all social justice warriors care about power. So it's a, it's a power toolbox. Um, and yeah. of course, politicians are going to dive into the power toolbox. There's been like, there's an entire, uh, there's an entire apparatus. There's an entire, uh, academic community that has, that built a toolbox all around power and obtaining power, of course politicians are going to dip into the toolbox and start using it. Like, why wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah, of course they have. You're right. It's just that it's, it's just that it's really, again, to think back to when this was stuff that I was learning in college 20 years ago or learning on various SJW or feminist social messaging platforms or, you know, um, forums and stuff to think it can it, it it grew from that to to these national mainstream politicians speaking it still blows my mind sometimes yeah because it, that's that's the power of the of of ideology well it's, that's the power you know it's it, a, yeah it's also the power when you own all of academia all of media like i mean the media yeah that that's yeah. that's why that's why uh that's why it's sort of rich for someone on the left to be like hey republicans why don't you just like fight the battle of ideas it's like yeah <laughs> we would like to will you let our ideas on twitter yeah will you let our ideas into colleges right like, like will you let somebody with our ideas teach there right or like are, can can students cite jordan peterson yeah right they're so such, they're such hypocrites yeah so I mean, and and you know, and they know it. I think they're saying like, make it a battle of ideas because that sounds like a very noble thing. And actually, it's it's actually a phrase that you often hear the right use more, right? Which is like, hey, let's let's have this needs to be a battle of ideas. But they're they're using it because like they, they have when you own the entire debate floor and all of the rules, and you can kick people off stage whenever you want. You can pay, pay lip service to. The battle of idea, the marketplace of ideas, all you want, and uh, it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter, yeah, because you're the authoritarian who has the microphone. Right. Yeah, Carrie, I know. We'll fight it out. Let's let's fight it out in the in the Pravda. We'll just write articles back and forth, and yours will be censored, and mine won't be. Yeah. <laughs> let's have a conversation like that woman on Twitter. Yeah. You you just block me preemptively, so I don't get to talk back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's the it's, it's a Twitter conversation, which is not a conversation at all. Um, yeah. but by the way, I know you probably have to go soon. I don't know your schedule, but um, I've got a little more time today than. Oh, good. I wanted to just, this is, there's not really much to talk about. There's just a little bit of good news. I want to make sure everyone saw it. Um, Nick Sandman settled with CNN. He's, uh, he's the Covington High School kid who uh, was defamed, basically, by CNN. He sued them for $275 million. The amount of the settlement, presumably less than that, was undisclosed. But he got something out of him, and they settled. So that's good. I thought that was great. I think more people need, there's some pending lawsuits. I know um, Gavin, what's his name? McGinnis is yep. suing the SPLC, which good for him. By the way, the SPLC, I, I didn't see this at the time, but somebody brought this up. They were one of the accounts on Twitter that was bashing Nick Sandman before they knew anything. This, you know, calling this is a symptom. This kid's, this child's smile that they knew nothing about out of context was a symptom of this white supremacy in Trump's America. SPLC guys, yep. they, they don't stand for anything anymore. The same, the usual suspects, the same ones who immediately believed Smollett and spread it everywhere. And it was on the news 24 seven and they spread it as if it was gospel. Same people who believe that are the same people who immediately believed that this kid, this Covington kid, had done something wrong and was racist and immediately spread this lie that he was somehow uh, aggressing or the aggressor in this in this little snippet of video that we had seen. It's the same suspects. They only push what's their narrative. What, what, if it fits their narrative, they're extremely gullible and they run with crazy stuff like the Smollett story because it fits their narrative. And if it doesn't fit their narrative, you're not going to see them talking about it. Like, it's just ignore it completely or issue a correction. If they're a news organization, issue a small correction that hardly anybody reads and then move on. Right. Yeah. But, the, the original story or tweet gets, you know, a million views and three people see the correction and they feel like they've done their job. Um, yeah. You, you know, you're making me... I We should have brought this up earlier when we were talking about um, the... the quote, implosion that was predicted by Dave Rubin of intersectional uh, wokeness. Um, I think the opposite, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm actually starting to think that maybe the opposite's going to happen. Maybe there's more, it's going to get worse this year because, I can't believe I didn't realize this, but like, they're just going to, between now and the elections, they're just going to go haywire. They're just going to double down. Like every media right. outlet's just going to go absolutely bananas with this. There's going to be four more Nick Sandmans. No, but that's why I think it's going to die. I agree with you, but that's also why I think it's going to die this year. Because, okay, so the comedian Mark Hughes, who's been on our show, and if you guys haven't seen it, we've interviewed him, and then he's got a, a channel um, called Pulling the Trigger, which is really cool. But anyway, he responded to our video about that, and he said... I think he said he gives it two more years or something at least. But he did say this, this for him, he's like, this is the year they get dangerous. Like there's violence, right? And I kind of, I can see that happening. But I also think that's why this is the year 
it doesn't die. When I say it dies, I don't mean it dies completely. I mean, it's like the beginning of the end. When people look back, they'll say 2020 is the year that culture rejected it. Because much like, okay, when Trump won in 2016, that's what woke up a lot of people I know. Um, 2016 is the year that I woke up. Right. It, it, it right. wasn't, it wasn't just him being elected. There was a lot of things that happened that year that woke me up, but I have other people who've left the SJW cult. That was it. That was the year for them too. him being elected, pushed the woke karate, the SJW so far out. Like they came out, they doubled down. They came out. They, like you said, like you've said before, um, it sped things up for them. Then they were suddenly, you know, telling us outright about some of the stuff that I, I think they had managed to keep hidden, like their resentment, things I didn't right. know as part of an, as be, being an SJW, I didn't realize, I thought I was just a progressive, right? I thought I was just a liberal. So it was like, wait a minute, we're for censorship. Wait a minute, we're for violence and punching people. And like, <laughs> what do we, and, and it pushed I missed all that, that memo. Out. Right. It pushed it out into the open and it made me grapple with what I was a part of. And so if 2020 is even worse in terms of them doubling down again and it getting crazier and more violent and more Nick Sandman's and the media doing more of this, I think it's only going to wake up more people. That's why I think it's the beginning of the end. More people and normal people are going to start to pay attention. Normal people who aren't SJWs who've just been living regular lives and doing, going about their business and doing their jobs are going to start to see this is crazy. Like that's why I think culture, maybe this is me being maybe (laughs) Maybe positive in the ending is that this is this is maybe why it's going to be the beginning of the end is well, because it's going to get bad. I, I hope so. Um, and yeah, we'll see. But I do agree that more people should be suing media outlets. So uh, do it. Yeah, yeah. More more Nick Sandman's. If there's more Nick Sandman's, maybe there'll be more two hundred seventy five million dollar lawsuits. So um, good. Laura says, if you double down on a double down, what do you get? I'm not good at maths. Well, that's math is part, math is part of the patriarchy, Laura. Yeah, <laughs> it's part of the white supremacy. Um, um, can I just read something funny? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Catherine Jepson Moore, who we're going to interview this year, we just have to figure out a date. Oh, okay, good. Um, she is a writer and the the author of the Colette pieces about the whole SJW knitting debacles and knitting wars uh, on, on Colette. And she tweeted something that made me laugh so hard this morning. She was being serious, that, but what she quoted made me laugh. So she said, um, how complicated life must be if you can only enjoy things created by people who agree with you on everything. Hashtag JK Rowling. And then I looked at the uh, stuff she was quoting and it's some SJW from Instagram, Y-S-O-L-D-A is her name, Y-Solda or something. And she says, if you're finding the promotional circuit for the new Harry Potter knitting book tough, given Rowling's horrifying transphobia, (laughs) you you are not alone. (laughs) And it just made me laugh because I'm like, well, first of all, this sentence has never been uttered before. I like when I, I read a sentence that I know has never been uttered before in the history of the world. <laughs> Nobody has ever said, if you're finding the promotional circuit for the new Harry Potter knitting book, tough, <laughs> given Rowling's horrifying transphobia, you're not alone. There's a Harry Potter knitting book? That's my first thing. What? I mean, you know what, Carrie? I got to say, this kind of stuff, sometimes I just pause and wonder... 
should the first world just completely collapse? Do we have, are we too, way too comfortable that this is what we're doing? <laughs> like, I don't, maybe we should just go back to hunting for food. I don't, I don't need it. Gosh, this woman, that's what you're concerned with. Yeah, I agree. It's like, what world do you, what first world <laughs> problems do you have? We live in such a comfortable society and people that you, they're not having to fight to survive and so we are we are so we want to talk about privilege we live in such a privileged place that this is what this is what their their crazy brains and their psychology is like looking to be obsessed and to have some struggle and that's what you're struggling with a harry potter knitting book and jk rowling said some things that i don't like and, you know and carrie soon they'll be able to tweet that and make sure no one disagrees in the in the responses yeah because that oh, would yeah. be traumatizing we'll be able to block you from Exactly. They'll be <laughs> shadow banning you or whatever. But yeah, it's just, ah, and it's not even transphobic. She basically, she said biological sex is real. Ah, ah, the horror. <laughs> anyway. Well, biology is transphobic now, so there you go. Yeah, got it. Um, by the way, did you, uh, did you see, uh, oh, actually, speaking of knitting, I don't see Maria in chat, but we'll get back to you, Maria. We know we need to get back to you. We're going to do it soon. Um, uh, did you see the latest... <laughs> It's, it's a minor thing, but did you see the latest news on Epstein? Oh, about the how the they said the cam the camera footage outside of his cell was deleted because of a clerical error. Yeah, they they lost the video, and um, I was watching uh, Dr. Michael Bodden, I guess is how you pronounce it. He's the guy who was saying that like actually these injuries aren't really uh, it's it's they're commensurate with strangulation but if he was hanged like the bruise would be up here not here like just anyway he's he's questioning a lot of this stuff but um i i i didn't realize this because i wasn't paying attention but like i guess there was the first suicide attempt carry um okay and at first yeah alleged suicide attempt and at first there was um they're like, there is no video. And then they're like, oh, there is a video. We found it. And the cellmate was saying Epstein tried to commit himself. Epstein told his lawyers that he wasn't trying to kill himself, that he was assaulted. Um, and so they were saving the video so that it could be reviewed. But uh, I, apparently now, oops. Give me a break. Who buys the Video's it? lost. Oops. You know what is interesting? It, one thing that's interesting is that this is, this is one of the very, 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 very few stories that I where I see updates being shared by SJWs in my feed, li liberals in my feed, conservatives in my feed, centrists, libertarians, right wingers, the whole spectrum. Everybody shares the uh, no. Everybody agrees <laughs> that this is BS. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So they may have different ideas about who killed him. I actually saw some this really dumb SJW that I know. Um, this comedian I know, I really, I saw him saying that, uh, that it was the family. Did you see that Netflix special about the family? I think the family killed Jeffrey Epstein. No, wait, what, what does the family mean? What is that? It's not the Kennedys anymore. What are they talking about? No, they're talking, it's, I haven't seen it. So, uh, keep that in mind. From what I understand, it's a documentary about, uh, how there's this secret. It's, it, it would be, it would be like talking about the, um, deep state except they're except they're talking about like a, the deep state is like the secret underground uh right wing religious fundamentalist community that oh really there's everything. like a leftist deep state yes thing? yes oh. they believe 
they believe that ev- that that there's this mysterious group pulling the strings and that it's made up of like a bunch of Pat Buchanan type of people that it's oh. all like right right wing religious fundamentalists and which I I'm like it's so funny to me you guys what world are you living in there is a deep state it's not what you're talking about but anyway yeah this person was like I think the family killed Jeffrey <laughs> <laughs> well hey if the so, family did we want to know about it um, yeah I still want to know but what they have a range of ideas on what happened to him but the point is everybody agrees <laughs> everyone knows what didn't again. happen to him. <laughs> right <laughs> he didn't kill himself um knit fragility says that uh i think she says the queen the vatican the rothschilds i guess that's the family but the but that's no, no, the no, thing no 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 wait, wait. no 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 i have to address that no carter no carter that's from so i married an axe murderer oh sorry <laughs> a secret pentaveret there's a secret pentaveret yeah knit fragility saying no 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 i'm being corrected yeah okay yeah it's uh the queen the vatican the Rothschilds, the Gettys, <laughs> and the Colonel Sanders before he went tets up. That's oh, okay. <laughs> you needed anyway. to add the last part in it, fragility. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, we've gone for quite a time, quite some time, Carrie. Uh, so I think it's probably time to wrap up the show, unless there's any final words that you want to mention to people. Well, Alan says that the family is a pretty good show, so I may have judged it prematurely, and and I was speaking without having watched it, so. I will try and give that a watch. Um, final words, please like, share, subscribe. Welcome to new subscribers. I know we've got a couple of new subscribers and um, we are on BitChute if you wanna follow us there because we will be banned one day. And uh, if you wanna support us financially, uh, you can do so at subscribestar.com. And we have a book club discussion. Our next book, the book we're reading now is Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. We're gonna be discussing it on Sunday, February 2nd at seven o'clock Texas time. And uh, we'll be discussing it live. And so, but you don't have to be on camera if you don't want to, it's like this, you can be in the chat live if you don't want to be on camera. But anyway, it gives you about a month, a little less than a month to read the book. And it, I think it's a short read. I haven't even started it because I don't want to forget it all. I'm old, so if I read it now, I'll forget it before the thing. So I'm going to wait until uh, the very end. So also, um, aside from going to Subscribestar, you can always go to unsafespace.com shop where we will be populating with more stuff, but there's already cool branded stuff there that I like and Carrie likes. And so you yep. can you can actually get, you can buy stuff if you want. Oh, and Big Bill reminded me, I should say, buy Fembags. Yeah, I don't I don't think everyone loves the Fembags as a description, but um, sure. <laughs> I don't, should we have our subscribe star also, they say unpersons and there's different levels. Maybe we should have a Fembag level. Uh, what do you think, Fembag Carrie? Fembag level, yeah. Funny. All right. All right. Well, thanks everyone for watching. Appreciate it. Um, we will see you again. Remember, we're doing now live Mondays, live Fridays. So we'll see you live again on Monday. Live Mondays, live Fridays, uh, and still doing Kofefi Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Deprogrammed more sporadically, not as on a regular scheduled uh, program. And we're hoping this year to do. Uh, the, we're hoping this new schedule actually frees up our time a little bit to do. A few more in-depth and um, like more interviews and more in-depth stuff. They'll just be more one-off shows and less scheduled. So thanks again, everyone. Have a good weekend.